Welcome to Raw the Podcast with Amy and Grecian, where we talk real and raw with mamas who have had to fight and be fierce, who have been thrown curveballs and faced adversity. We discuss everything from premature birth and NICU life, special needs and infant loss, to those everyday mum life struggles we all feel. Nothing is off topic. We hope that by opening up and being vulnerable, we can break down the walls and start to remove some of the shame and stigma associated with these traumatic experiences while helping other mamas feel less alone. I'm Amy, special needs and medical mama to Premier Boys James and Jack. I'm the founder of my own small business and support network, Miracle Mama, where I advocate fiercely for the infertility, Premier and special needs community. And I'm Grecian, mama of four girls, including two full-termers, Adeline and Macy, and a set of Premier twins, Hannah and Riley, born at 25 weeks. I'm an IVF warrior and am passionate about sharing the unfiltered ups and downs of motherhood. We don't share your average mama stories, and this isn't your average podcast. Raw is unrefined and breaks through the bullshit of navigating guilt, grief, and trauma. I mean, let's be honest, we've been through more shit than some could even imagine, so at this point we don't really have a filter. But with this being said, please note we do talk about sensitive topics in our episodes, which we know can be distressing. We give this warning simply to empower you, our audience, with the knowledge you need to make healthy decisions about how and if you should consume this podcast content. Please take care of yourselves and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. And lastly, let us assure you that it's not all bad and sad. It's a place to have real and raw conversations. Ask those questions that may be playing on your mind. And above all, we hope to shine a light on the life-changing perspective and appreciation that only these experiences can give you. We share the overwhelming joys and triumphs that our little miracles bring to our lives. And we discuss the inspiration and hope we have gained from this community. While our experiences are individually unique, we are forever a part of something truly special, a community of fierce mama bears and their cubs navigating the storm, and together we'll roar. Welcome back to Roar the Podcast. Hi, Grecian. Hi, Amy. How are you going? I'm okay. I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> We're not getting into it today. We're no. going to get straight into the episode today because it is a little bit of a long one, but Grecian and I will be in your ears next week talking all the things then yes <laughs> there's been a lot all of them yeah. yeah um but yeah this week um it's a really special episode because it's a little different we're focusing on a mother's story rather than the baby or the children or child so we chat to Premi and twin mama jade about her long-term health battles and her experience of mothering through this which she describes as trying to take life one minute at a time yeah we We learnt so much in this episode. We were constantly just gobsmacked. Didn't have words. (laughs) No, there was no words. I'm pretty sure I already said like two words the whole episode. (laughs) Jade just took took the reins on this one and went and told her story so beautifully. Um, And, yeah, she gives a powerful insight into mothering through mental health conditions such as borderline personality disorder, PTSD, depression anxiety um so yeah this so is for, much yeah this is for all of you out there who have been in similar situations who have suffered with mental health jade's story is long-term and ongoing but she beautifully highlights how she has grown from an early misdiagnosis to where she is today and how her mental health conditions have impacted on her as a mother especially during the extra hurdles of the birth trauma and NICU even she was blown away by her growth as she was sharing her story with us she was, yeah, and she's got a lot to teach us all and 
I think that you guys will all be equally as affected by this one as we were. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Smoo, Kids Mini Smoothie Cups. Smoo has the cutest collection of insulated mini smoothie cups that encourage healthier habits with a playful approach. Smoo's philosophy is to assist parents in getting more fruit and veg into their little ones' daily lives without the mess or stress that mealtimes can sometimes bring. The cups are a perfect size for little hands and the soft silicon straw with stopper means no more flying straws and smoothies. Check them out over on Instagram at smoo.com.au. Let's welcome Jade. Hi, Jade. Welcome to Raw. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hi. Nice to have you. I feel like this is the perfect place for you, Raw the Podcast. Um, you reached out to us via DM and I still remember you said that you were hoping that one day someone would do a podcast on the toll that permanent mental health conditions have on motherhood. You said that you feel like depression and anxiety are more understood these days, which is amazing, but other conditions still hold such judgment and stigma. And I just, your passion was palpable and it was so evident that you needed a platform to share your story and to raise awareness on a topic that isn't talked about enough, which is what we're all about here. And it's so, so true. Amy and I were just saying yesterday that it's a topic that is really new to us and probably new to most of our audience too, because you don't really hear people talking about it. It takes a shitload of courage for someone to step up and be a voice for an invisible group. So thank you for your bravery in chatting with us today. Thank you guys for allowing me to have that platform to help, I guess, educate others and just, you know, if I can help one other person, that's 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 why I want to do this. So thank you both. Of course. So, yeah, it is quite um, new to both of me and Grish and we, we've shared obviously a lot of stories of children but this is really focusing on the mother and on you, Jade, today. Yep. So, um, yeah, something a little bit different, which is great. And we are winging it a little bit today. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just get started. Um, Jade, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Um, so, yeah, I'm obviously, I'm Jade. Um, I'm a mum of three kids. I have twins, Charles and Adeline, who are almost five. And I have another little one called Harrison and he's just turned three. Um, yeah, where else do I go from here? My identity is a mum, basically. That's when I explain mm. who I am as a person, I feel like that that is literally my identity. And I think yeah. I, as most mums do, I think I sometimes lose myself along the way and have to remind myself who I am as a person before I am as a mum. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, that's powerful. <laughs> Thank so you. powerful. I'm like nodding yeah. along here already. <laughs> yeah, most mums relate to that, I feel yeah. like. Well, we lose yeah. ourselves a lot as being mums. Yeah. Yep. And I was going to say, especially in this community, but it's not just this community, like it is every mother. Um, yeah. But we have so many other things to focus on on top of, oh, so on top of that things. that we do. We do yeah. lose. We lose who we were before, I think, and have to remind ourselves that there is someone else under there. There's someone else, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the main reason we've asked you on the pod today is to talk about the impact that difficult pregnancies and premature births had on yourself as a mother who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Is that correct? Waterline personality disorder. Waterline personality disorder. Yeah. See, right. we're learning. That is one thing that um, 
I it's really important for me to clarify is that yep. there is a there is a big difference. They're very mm-hmm. similar. Yeah. But there is a big difference in those two and it often gets misconstrued as to you say you have mm. BPD and people go, "Oh, is that like bipolar?" No, yep. it it really isn't like bipolar. It's um You'll probably go into this more in depth. Sorry if I'm No, no, go. Here. No, um, this is what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. um, so bipolar is generally, generally, and I don't want to say this with someone mm-hmm. who has bipolar listening and say, no, no, that's totally incorrect. Generally bipolar is something that is genetically there, whereas mm. borderline personality disorder stems from childhood trauma and the lack of uh, emotional regulation that you received as a child. Yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah. Right. So probably should have clarified that what BPD was before. (laughs) (laughs) But like I said, we haven't really educated ourselves. So this is why we've got you here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're going to be doing that for us. (laughs) (laughs) Trying. Trying my best. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good clarification. So because of this diagnosis, we don't want to focus too much on your pregnancies and NICU experiences, but can you just give us a quick background into some of the trauma you faced during those times? Because obviously all three children were premies, 31 weaker twins and 34 weaker Yep. So twins were 31. Yeah. So twins were 31 and six. And I like to say they were still 31 weakers because that one day makes such a difference. Oh, such a difference. The head scans, everything else they everything. needed. So I'm, I claim that one day. Like, oh, so, yeah. so, do, so do I. Yeah. The twins were 25 and 6 and I'm like, I claim 25 weeks. Like it makes yeah. such yeah. a difference. So I get it. Yeah. 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 Um, and Harry was 34 weeks and four days and he was mm-hmm. my yeah my biggest baby and he was the one that came out with the least issues. So And everyone was shocked at how well he came out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess where I start from with them um with my twins my husband and I tried to get pregnant for 18 months prior to that um and we actually had done uh we were on our third round of we had Clomid um to fall pregnant because I had PCOS um and at that it was like the universe I feel so many people say this that as soon as you say I'm gonna stop trying or I'm gonna do something different we we went and got a smaller car we got a hatchback car we were like I'm just going to stop and I'm going to focus on my Mm. career and excelling at my career rather than having children at such an early age because I'm 27 now. Um, So, but my husband's 10 years older than I am. So that's Mm -hmm. where the age gap kind of comes in where we wanted to have kids sooner rather than later. Um, So yeah, we did all that stuff. And then Lauren Polder found out I was pregnant. Um, And yeah, we were shocked when we found out it was twins, even though we were told there was a high chance that that could happen with that medication. Um, I think anyone who has twins, you're still shocked when you find out that you've had twins, you're having twins. Yep. Yep. Um, Another twin mama here, she's nodding along. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, we, I had a pretty rough pregnancy with them. Um, I started off at Fiona Stanley and it was really hard at the time. Like I, uh, my best friend was having her baby a week apart from me and she actually had her baby at 23 weeks and she'll kill me if I get this wrong, one day or two days. So she had her baby like super early and I was having complications mm. at the same time. So that was super like just worrying and knowing that she went through that and I was just very mindful of the stuff that I was going through at the same time trying not to compare it but yeah it was obviously when you've got someone that's going through that Mm. that's so close to you it's really hard to not think of everything going wrong in your own pregnancy 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I started at Fiona Stanley and they were basically like, oh, um, you will most likely have these babies early. Like that, that's expected. You'll probably have them before 28 weeks. But if you had them before then, you know, we're equipped to kind of handle it. It was – I was felt very much brushed off and that kind of started a whole – I think that was when my mental health got really bad um, because my mm. emotions were being dismissed by yeah, like the, the head of... obstetrician. Yeah. Um, so yeah. at that point I actually said to them, I said, look, if you're not going to take me seriously and you're not going to help me get through my pregnancy and just assume that I'm going to have them early and not do anything to prevent this, can you please refer me to King Eddie's because I'm not happy with the care I'm getting. Um, and they went, well, they might not accept you. And I said, okay, well, well can you please try? So King Eddie's ended good up accepting you. me. Oh, good um, job. Yeah. yeah. I just really had to advocate for myself. And my husband was really good in that regard and was really supportive of, yeah, these are our kids. Like you, you need to advocate yeah. for them. And it was that strong maternal instincts. And well done. Cause, cause it's first, first pregnancy as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot yeah. of, when we get brushed off, a lot of us, um, just take that and don't, you know, that we trust in the medical professionals and we yeah. just roll with it. But, yeah, good on you for standing your ground. Yeah, yeah. thanks. It was something that just – and I'll, I'll probably touch on this a lot more as I get into my postnatal journey with my depression and things. Um, it was just this really strong power I had of being this maternal instinct mm. of just needing to protect them from day protect. drop from when they were in the womb. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we ended up going to King Eddie's, um, and I had something called irritable uterus and I don't know if a lot of people know mm. what it is. Basically I was having contractions that, so it's like Braxton Hicks, but on steroids. So you're literally having contractions and they can read when they do the scans that you're having contractions, but they don't necessarily end up anywhere, going anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I think I ended up in hospital for... I'd have to say at least 60 to 70% of my pregnancy, I was an inpatient in hospital being Mm, monitored because it was just, I was constantly having contractions. I'd come home and I'd be back in hospital within a few days. So on the ward, just being monitored. Yeah. Yeah, So I, a few times I would end up um, actually, they actually take me at nighttime into the labor. It generally was nighttime. I'd end up in the labor suites with them monitoring my contractions. Um, I think by about 28 weeks I'd had the steroids because they just assumed that they were going to come early. Um, Yeah, and then we made it to 30 weeks and I remember celebrating with apple tizer in the hospital room, (laughs) celebrating that we made it to 30 (laughs) weeks because that was such a big milestone for us. Such a big Um, milestone, yeah. Yeah, Um, and then, yeah, I I went into labour with them. Luckily, I ended up having a really good midwife who actually advocated for me and getting the obstetrician to check me um, because I... Yeah, well, that, at what point do they they go, okay, this is, this this is actual happening labor. now. This is yeah. real. Yeah. So I went from, I had, because I had irritable uterus, so a lot of the time it was pain management and just controlling yeah. my contractions, like the pain that I was getting from them. Yeah. Um. So they, there was a night and because I was still 
just on the normal ward, I wasn't in labor and delivery because I was in there so often. My husband had to go home. Um, oh, he wasn't allowed to mm. stay overnight. King, yeah, King Eddie's, you can't stay and it's yeah. shit. It's horrible. So shit. Mm. Yeah. So I remember being in so much pain and throughout my pregnancy, they'd given me like morphine injections because I was literally in that much pain from having constant contractions. Mm. That was something they did to stop them and kind of slow them down a little bit. Yeah. Um, the night before I had the twins, I was in labor. My husband was like, you are just, you, you're in agony. I'm like, I am in agony and I don't feel like I'm being heard. Um, and he had to go home. They gave me morphine injection, an injection that night, did zilch, completely nothing. Mm. I said to them, this isn't doing nothing. This isn't doing anything. Did um, you know it was different then? You knew yeah, it was, yeah. did I they? I knew it was different. Uh Oh, you had to push again. I had to push yeah. once again. Yeah. I had to push um, because you would like they probably were just assuming that it was it, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it almost feel and I I say this in my head and it almost feels like I'm like the boy who cried wolf. Like that's how I felt. That's yeah. how I felt like they were treating me. Where every time I'm like, you can literally see I'm having contractions, mm. but they're not eventuating to anything. So they just kind of dismissed it and went, "Well, you've had yeah. your steroids. Like it'll happen when it happens." Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm probably going off on a tangent a little bit it's here. Fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So they that night, the next morning, I woke up and I'd started bleeding as well. Mm. So the midwife I had, um, she seemed a little bit abrupt when I first had her, and she turned out to be the most amazing midwife I could ever ask for. Like she's probably mm. the reason my kids are alive. Um, so yeah, I started having these bleeds, and she got the team that I was under at King Eddie's to one of the lower obstetricians to kind of come and check me um she came and checked me did an exam went yeah you're like you're two centimeters two to three centimeters dilated um let me go and ring the head of the department and find out what we want to do with you she comes back into the room um and checks me again and goes you're like four to five centimeters dilated and bearing in mind this was in the space of like 10 15 minutes Yeah. yeah So she comes in, checks me again, yeah, and goes, yep, all right, um, emergency C-section because at that point my son had already come down the birth canal and he was so far down that when they actually took him out, they had to use forceps to pull him back out. Pull him back out. Oh, yep. Um So, you know, as it goes, when you have an emergency C-section, everybody rushes in, cannulates you, shaves you, does everything. Mm-hmm. My husband's sitting next to me because luckily I actually rung him at work and said, Something's different because by this point he'd used so much. He used like all of his leaves. Yeah. I'd been in hospital yeah. so much and he had to take so much time off to help me. Um, so, yeah, I rung him and he got there, thankfully. Um, and, yeah, when I had these babies, they were whisked away. Um, I was very, very strong-willed once again and I spent like a good hour to two hours, I think, because my blood pressure skyrockets after I have kids, even when I'm pregnant. Um, so I spent a long time in recovery. Um, so he was with the kids and my dad and my stepmom were there um, kind of waiting for me to get out of surgery and they were in the room with me after I got brought back up to the ward. And obviously, you know, when you go into NICU, you switch your phones off because you're not allowed your phones on in there. So I had no way of getting in contact with him and knowing what was going on with the kids. Like mm. at this point, I, I didn't know what was going on. Um, so, yeah, yeah, he got he eventually came back up to the ward and I said to the midwife, I said, can you please get me a breast pump? Um, 
because I want to start pumping these milk for my babies. Like it was the only thing I felt like I could do. You could mm. do. Yeah. Um, which started a very toxic, not toxic, but bad habit on my part where I felt like that was the only thing I could do to prove my worth as a mother to them. Um, mm. Then, oh, It's making me tear up. <laughs> I can relate. No, no, no. It's <laughs> so relatable. Like with our journey with the twins as well. Like I felt exactly yeah. the same. The only thing you can do while you're sitting there waiting, just like I can't do anything else. No, no. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'd had yeah had the C-section. Was sitting up there, and the midwife she comes to me and she goes, "Don't you just want to rest? Like have a rest, have a break. Just just calm down before you go and see mm. these kids. No, please get me a breast pump. I want to pump milk." Um, so after begging and begging for a good hour or so, she finally got me a breast pump. Um, (laughs) and then I said to them, I, when can I, I knew that like, I wouldn't be allowed to go and see the kids for about three hours afterwards. I needed that time to, I guess, recover from the C-section, be able to get up and go into a wheelchair on my own. Um, I'm sure you guys had the same thing. Like you're not allowed to do anything until you can get into a wheelchair um so literally my thing was as soon as I'd had my cesarean section I said to them take take my epidural out I don't want it in anymore so they literally plonked me from my the operating theater table onto the bed I was going into recovery rolled me over pulled my epidural out because I said I didn't want it in I didn't want I don't want you to have a reason to hold me from my kids (laughs) Mm. um so yeah that that was it. So as soon as that three hours went or whatever it was, I yeah. said, get me into a wheelchair. I'm going to see my kids. So, yeah. Mm, nothing stopping you. Yeah. The, the midwife hated me, but <laughs> I don't care. No, <laughs> nah. you were advocating for yourself and your children. Yep. So I went yeah. down and saw them and, yeah, they were in hospital. In the end, they were in hospital for almost six weeks, um, which is – quite a small journey in relation mm. to what others have had to go through so I'm very very lucky in that regard that my my children did do did do well they had their hurdles mm. um yeah. as most babies do in the NICU um but it just kind of yeah all of this kind of stemmed so from this journey I had I obviously was up every three hours pumping even when I got home my husband bless his soul used to set an alarm and actually get up and make me get up um, cause I struggled to wake up. Um, mm. and he used to get up and wash all my pump parts for me. And so I, he did help a lot with that. I wouldn't have been able to do it without him. Um, bless him. Mm. Bless him. Yeah, mm. totally. He's yep. amazing. Um, I had the same. Yep. Same. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> he goes, well, guys, what's the name of the podcast you're going on? Cause I want to listen to see what you say about me. I'm like, it's not going to be anything <laughs> negative. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I had, yeah, so had the kids, um, and bearing in mind, my mental health wasn't that great during the pregnancy after being in hospital so much. They actually showed me, they gave me a tour of the mother and baby unit at King Eddie's as an option if I wanted to go in there even, um, before I'd had the kids, um, because you can do that. You can go into the mother and baby unit while you're pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are a few mums that do that. Luckily, I kind of stayed with my dad for a little bit, so I wasn't super alone while hubby was at work. That helped a lot. Yeah, so they were born. They came once. I came home from the NICU. 
within a week they went back into hospital because they got bronchitis. So they ended up mm. back in the special care, well, the NICU at Fiona Stanley because that's where we ended up getting transferred to for the second half of our stay. Yeah. Um, then we brought them home and I just kind of, I went from being so like while I was in the NICU, it was kind of like my mother-in-law really wanted to help and really wanted to be around. But I was very, I kind of isolated myself because I felt like in order to be a good mum, I needed to do everything myself. Nobody else could step in and help me because if if somebody else stepped in and helped me, that meant I wasn't a good enough mother. Mm. So I had those expectations on myself from being in the NICU and then coming home, I just didn't accept help. Um, even my husband, yeah. like I found it really hard to let him step in and help me with the babies as well. Yeah. Um, Sorry, can I just ask, at this point, did you have any mental health like diagnoses already? I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. That is what they thought I had. Um, yeah. Prior to having kids, I had done an admission into the private mental health units before as well to kind of yeah. get better. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's. I'm just wondering whether... Um, you know, when they – do they give everyone the option of going into the parent and baby unit after? Or is were there red flags there for them already? There with were your, already red with flags. Your, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. so I was yeah. also speaking to the um, psych team there as well already. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, so Yeah, I didn't know if that was just offered to everyone or whether that was something that they'd sort of I think um, it's... offered given your history. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. offered to me at King Eddie's so I would say it would be if there was a history yeah Yeah. um so yeah the fact that I at this point it was just depression and anxiety um and Mm. then yeah yeah just depression and anxiety anxiety. (laughs) that sounds terrible to me to say that sounds so (laughs) terrible no 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 like this is this is your story (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah I I kind of just raveled a bit out of control um with just purely draining and exhausting myself, being up every three hours of the kid, well, pumping, mm. feeding them, trying to go back to sleep and get some form of sleep and bearing in mind that anyone who has kids and is up with them, you know, as a mum, you're so emotionally, physically, mm. mentally, just just drains. Like having a baby is yeah. just so draining. Um, and mm. after being in hospital with them because while they were in hospital I once I got transferred closer to me um I would get up first thing in the morning and go to the hospital um and then I would do all their feeds pump come home for a little bit in the afternoon cook dinner so my husband had dinner then he would we would go back in he would see the kids then we would come home he would go to bed and I would come back in to the hospital and I was in the hospital till like two o'clock in the morning sometimes and then I would come home sleep for a little bit get up pump Pump. go back into the hospital do it all again yes I was already draining myself and they were going you should be at home getting rest for when they come home and I'm like yeah but I feel like I need to be here um Mm. even though I probably didn't need to be there that often um yeah there was a pressure on yourself yeah yeah and I think I I put that pressure on myself yeah um so I ended up in the mother and baby unit, I think, when the kids were about four or five months old. Um, by this point, we'd come home and I reached a point where I just said, I don't want to be alive anymore. I'm not a good mum. 
I really don't think, I think my children would be better off without me. I really think my children would be better off without me. Mm, And talking about that retrospectively is heartbreaking because Mm, I know in my heart my kids wouldn't be better off without me. Um, My husband knew that and he would sit there and listen to me say this. Like I can't imagine having to feel those emotions of what he must have felt the mother of his children saying. So Mm. that was when I had spoke. I was already speaking to kind of the psych team at King Eddie's um, and that was when I kind of, I actually went into the King Eddie's mother and baby unit and that didn't end very well. Um, When you go into a mother and baby unit, they want you to spend the first 24 to 48 hours catching up on sleep so you can be, I guess, better and have some more mental clarity around what's going on. Um, but for me, letting go of that was letting go of everything and they just couldn't, they mm, couldn't understand yeah. that. So, yeah, anyway, I went out of that mother and baby unit, went home for a little bit, realised I still wasn't coping. They didn't help me at all. Mm. Um, so I, don't, I spoke to my GP or someone about it and they actually put me in touch with Fiona Stanley, um, which was the best thing I ever did was getting in touch with that mother and baby unit. Um, so, yeah, I went in. Um, I think I was in there for at least a month with the first time I went in. I was in there for a month and it focused mainly on, I guess, medication changes, implementing medications. And that was when the psychiatrist sat me down and went, we think you have BPD. And I said, what is that? He gave me a pamphlet and said, can you have a look at this and just see if you agree with what the diagnosis is? And I read it and I went, holy shit, why has no one told me about this sooner? This is my life to a T, an mm, absolute T. Yeah. Um, the, I was going to ask if you had some awareness of your own um, struggles then when they presented that to you, but obviously you you did. It was yeah. like a light bulb went off. Like I yeah. just went, how could you not have told me this or how could the regular psychiatrist team that I was seeing privately not have picked up on mm. this? How has no one picked up on it? Yep. Yeah. Um, it made me very frustrated that no one had picked up on it mm. because retrospectively, like I love my kids, but if I had known I had something that wasn't, I don't want to say just depression and anxiety, but if I had known it was something yeah. more than depression and anxiety, maybe I would have gone and done the harder treatments that you need yeah. to work on it so I could be a better mum and I could cope with yeah the preterm deliveries a little bit better than what I did. Um, yeah. I don't think yeah. you can ever prepare for preterm mm-hmm. deliveries or even being a mum in general, but I think having that awareness of what the emotions I was having. Mm. Um, yeah. What they were. Yeah. 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 Mm. Just knowing what it was. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it made a lot of sense and moving forward it was um, just kind of understanding it, going on different types of medications um, because with borderline personality disorder, like I was saying before, it's very much based, it, it stems from childhood trauma um, and not having your emotions met as a child. Um, so my mother, I don't like to call her mother because I, this probably might sound really controversial, but I don't think she deserves that title. Um, anyone who abuses a child and tells a child, I wish you were never born, I wish I never had you, just physically and mentally abused, I don't think 
that that person mm. should deserve that title, yeah. unfortunately. And unfortunately. No. <laughs> no. I always feel really bad when I say that that person doesn't deserve that title, but she doesn't deserve that no. title. She's never she met doesn't. her grandkids and she's never asked about them. So, yeah. And, yeah, you're the exact person who can be saying that because yep. you're the – you have the insight. So, yeah. That, yeah. 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 So, yeah, it, it, BPD stems from emotional – it is emotional irregulation, so – or dysregulation, sorry. Um, basically, I see things as black and white. Um, for me, it's like one minute I will be – everything's great, everything is, is so amazing, and then something will happen, and it, it can be the littlest of things like uh, I'll be running late to school and all of a sudden my my mood will drop from being happy, great to suddenly feeling it like it's literally the end of the world. Like I can't do this anymore. My life is not worth living. And that is what I live with on a daily basis. Um, mm, wow. The medications I'm on, um, so I'm on a mood stabilizer medication. It does help, um, but it's just mostly learning how to regulate those emotions and learning Mm. the biggest thing for me Mm -hmm. is I've got it written on my Instagram it's my biggest thing is taking life one minute at a time because for me my life is every minute is different every minute can be so different depending on what's happened depending on how I'm feeling if I've had enough sleep if I've had something to eat like it's it's total Mm. extremes of moods for me it's really funny. I had that written down in our notes mm-hmm. to bring that up, the one minute I at a time. It. I read that on your Instagram yeah. and I was like, it is profound. Like yeah. I literally read that and I went, wow. Like it almost, for someone who, like I said, has no insight into borderline personality disorder, it was like it gave me, you know, I guess an insight into your brain. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. makes sense. And yeah. what your days must be like. And like we talk about in NICU, I remember talking about just taking it one sometimes minute, one hour, one day at a time and how, like how much of a toll that has on you. Um, But to be living that daily, every day. Every day, um, all day. It's, yeah, yeah, it was, it's, and it was something as simple as that that I read on your Instagram that I was like, wow, that's powerful. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's something that's, it's something that's literally taken me until the last week to finally come to terms with that I need to sit with these emotions when I'm having these down times and when I'm feeling like I literally don't know how I'm going to do this anymore. Like I don't, I, I don't want to be alive. Like I still have those thoughts um, sometimes on a daily basis. Other times it can be on a weekly basis when I'm really mm. good. Um, yeah. It's just about sitting with it and learning. It's, it's okay to feel like the way I am feeling right mm. now, but it will pass and it will get better. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm at with that. And and do you have some sort of when you do have you know taking it a minute at a time? I'm assuming that you have. Um, do you have some tools up your sleeve that you some things that you might do in those moments, or do you just sit and allow yourself to feel that? Yeah, how do you get yourself out of out that funk um, that those moments? Yeah, it's. It's really, really challenging at times. I'm not going to lie. There's times where I will just go and lay in bed because I can't do it anymore. Like I just I just need to go and be alone. I need to lay in bed. Um, but obviously you have kids, you can't, you can't just go and lay in bed all the time. Mm. Um, so 
um, it can be as simple as having a shower, um, as brushing my hair, some, something as simple as what people do every day, um, as brushing mm. teeth is something I, when I'm in a depressive state and in a low mood, I, I forget to brush my teeth. Like it sounds so stupid, mm. but it's little things like Those that. That's the self-care, the self-care things um, yeah. that I have to consistently do in order to stay better. Like going for a walk is just something, if I don't do it, I end up doing unhealthy coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. which is something I am trying to still work on. Um, I gained a significant amount of weight because I used eating as a coping mechanism, which was a very unhealthy coping mechanism um, mm. and spending money, which is a very unhealthy coping mechanism as well. So yeah. it's just, yeah, it's about learning these healthy coping mechanisms. And there's for BPD, there is um, something called dialectual behavioural therapy where it teaches you uh, the tools you need when you're in, they call it a crisis point, um, to mm-hmm. be able to bring yourself out of those crisis points. And a lot of a lot of the things that you need to use are things that are habits in order to prevent yourself from going into crisis mode. Yeah, okay. So trying to s- yeah. not almost stop it but f- like before you get it. to there, yeah, prevent. Prevention, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like it's being conscious of it, of it as well. Like yeah. so yeah, having that awareness, which yeah. you, yeah. Aware that it's yeah. coming. It's also really hard because I, I'm i so aware of my moods that when I'm in a good mood, I am fearing the bad mood I will be in in 10 minutes' mm. time. That's yeah. the scariest part. Kind of waiting for it. Like is it yeah. going to happen now? Is it going to happen when we're out? What am I doing with the children? Like yeah. do you ever worry about if that mood hits what are the kids doing at that moment? Like, and it's it sounds it sounds really bad, but there has been times where I've been in such bad moods that even driving a car with the kids in the car is scary because I fear as much as I'm so protective over my kids, I fear mm. my emotions and having to regulate emotions of little people who cannot regulate yep. their emotions yet as well. Is where yeah, while you're uh, trying to regulate you, your own emotions, yeah, yeah. So it's basically like being a child and having to deal with your own children at the same time and their emotions. It, it yeah, that's the hardest part about all of this is just trying mm. to raise them to not have that emotional dysregulation that I have because I don't want them to have to go through this. But also, I don't have I don't I don't understand my emotions half the time. Mm. I don't want to be that mum that. I had which is either yelling or is happy angry or happy I just I can't I can't do that to them so I'm learning to comfort them and to let them sit with their emotions yeah and to just have those healthy emotions that I never got as a child so going back to when you're talking about your mum and your childhood trauma do you think like that overcompensation in the beginning of I need to do everything for them and be mm. this perfect mum all stems from that? 110%. 110% without a doubt. Yep. Like you were so conscious of what your mum was like that you were trying to be the complete opposite. Yeah. And it was, yep. yeah, like I said, it went to, but, but it to went the point too far. of, yeah, to the extreme. Yep. 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 Yeah. It, completely to an extreme. So, yeah, yep. I ended up in the mother and baby unit twice after the twins, um, learning about my diagnosis and also 
educating my family around it, um, which was something mm. that was really big to me is um, my mother-in-law, love it a bit. She's so, so supportive and so wonderful with the kids. Um, but it's really hard for someone else, especially someone else of a different generation to recognise mm-hmm. mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even like my dad, he he I had I have to educate him sometimes and actually say to him like dad I know you suffer with anxiety but what I suffer with is is something so much more yeah yeah Yeah. um so that was really good that the hospital would have family meetings and allow you to bring in family members and I guess just have an open discussion about what was going on and what my diagnosis was with the therapist there yeah Yep. So I think that helped, um, but at the same time, I don't think my mother-in-law is ever going to forgive me for not allowing her that access to her grandchildren like she wanted to. And I think this is a really big thing as well, especially in the preterm community, is grandparents struggling to understand mm. why they're not allowed access to their their grandchildren. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's yeah. something I'm still trying to work through <laughs> with her is understanding why I was the way I was. Yeah, it's a great point, especially about, um, like you were saying, mental health conditions. I think there's still such a stigma there that is, I don't think we'll ever break it, to be honest, no, in that generation no, no, around. No, not in that generation. Just pick yourself up, just, you know. No, dust yourself off and get on yeah, with it. Yeah, almost like it, that mental health conditions are make-believe or that, really you know. It really is. Like, like it's, it's yeah. you love, you you have these kids. Like why would you not want to be alive? How, how yeah. can you not yeah, want to be alive? Yeah, I can't understand it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I had, yeah, I had got kind of gotten to a point where I think I knew we wanted another child because I had such a horrible birth with, well, not a horrible birth, but I had a hard, difficult pregnancy and the birth where, you have your children immediately taken away from you. and you The trauma from that. The trauma, the birth yep. trauma from that led me to say, let's have another baby. I'd like to have another baby. Um, and I didn't think it was going to happen anytime soon. Um, and then lo and behold, Cameron looked at me for once that month and I fell pregnant <laughs> with Harrison. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so I went through the sim- a similar pregnancy with Harrison um, with the irritable uterus. Um and had him obviously early again. Uh, Cameron actually almost missed the birth. I was, yeah, basically on the table having Harrison when he got to the hospital mm. because Gosh. obviously not being allowed at the hospital when you're mm-hmm. in labour. I had a midwife walk in that morning, see me in the shower and go, okay, we need to get the doctors to come and check you now. I would never forget the look on her face when she pulled out the speculum to examine me, dropped it, went, you need to call your husband because they're going up to theatre now. And this was oh, peak hour gosh. traffic, so he had to get there in time. Um, oh. It was that was that was think that was the most difficult part. Was I expected to? Everyone told me you had twins. That's why you gave birth early. Nobody looked into it any further. Yeah, mm, yeah. that was kind that of was it. The, that was the reason. Mm. And then just yep, shoved, shoved to the side. Yep, yep. So left alone the entire night to labour on my own again. So I had another very traumatic labour. Um, ended mm-hmm. up in actually ended up in adult ICU afterwards with Harrison. Um, and then yeah, just had so to, more, more trauma. More mm. trauma once again had to yeah. push to go and see my child. Um, all the things that you yeah shouldn't 
be dealing with, no, especially no. on top of yeah everything else you were you'd gone through. Gone through, yep. yeah. Um, yeah. So I was very lucky in a way that the psychologist I had at the mother and baby unit when I had the twins was actually now working at King Eddie's as a psychologist there. So she mm. advocated for me to stay mm. in hospital with him while he was in hospital. Because I said, I can't, I cannot do this again. I cannot leave hospital and have to come back yeah, in. Like no. it's going to literally destroy me. Plus having the yeah. twins though as well at home. Because they were 19 months old when Harry was born. Yeah, um, well, yeah. So, yeah. I it was still very dependent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very dependent. Um, yeah. I Yeah, so they, luckily Harry was born um, with no, no real needs. Um, I produce milk like a cow so it was getting the lactation consultant to come up and say yeah he's he's eating like crazy like you don't need to be trying to do tube top-ups because he's getting enough yeah um so thankfully there was a few of the other I guess care workers that were advocating Mm. for me as well to stay in hospital well that helps doesn't it it helped a lot yeah it helped a lot so I was in hospital for Almost two weeks in total. Wow. Um, they let me stay in hospital. That's amazing because like, usually they King Eddie's kicked me out after almost three days. I think it was that was with the twins after with a cesarean. Well. Yeah, they're yeah. like, no, we yeah. don't have space. And I'm like, I've got fucking twenty five weekers down there. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There's no Are you compassion. <laughs> no, there's no compassion yeah. at all. Nothing. Yeah. It Nothing. Sucks. It sucks. Yeah. So yeah, I think it was it. Equaled out to about two weeks. I was in there entirely um, yep. from the two days or the 24 hours before I had him Prime, to afterwards. Yeah. Um, so he was actually on the ward for I think five days. He was in the special care unit for five days and then he got to come up on the ward with me and they allowed me to stay for I think three days extra wow. um, to yep. make sure he was growing. That was the condition yep. was I could yeah. stay in but he would have to come and room with me and they would have to see him put weight on. Um, so they they argued with me about that because they wouldn't let me. They had to do two continuous days of seeing him put on, I can't even remember how much it was. Whatever it was like the minimum is, yeah. Yeah, it was mm. something like that. Um, and he did that the first night he kind of plateaued and I worked out it was because he was feeding off both boobs and getting on either letdown, not getting the full milk. Um, mm-hmm. So I fixed out the second night and he put on what they asked and they said, oh, we want to do it for another night. And I said, you're kidding me, right? Like I've had kids that were preterm if they're, and you're having a home midwife mm-hmm. come and see me the next day. The anyway. next day. If there is anything going wrong, I'll be the first person to bring my son back to hospital. Um, yeah. So they, they, luckily they let me go home and they actually made me sign forms to say, we don't agree with this decision, but yeah, you can oh take your child God. home. And Just then the, adding, adding to everything, adding to yeah, all of the mental trauma. Like so and trusting. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. yeah. So it was a bit of a ha-ha, told you so moment when they came and weighed in the next day and he put on triple what they wanted him to put on. <laughs> so, go boobs, yeah. go boobs, yeah, I'll show like, you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that he came home um and I think for the first three months, I was just in survival mode with having three kids under the age of two. Mm. Um, Cameron went back to work and then I slowly felt myself, my moods were dropping again. Mm. I was having the same emotions I was having when I was postpartum with the twins. Um, Did you get extra support 
obviously after your first experience, you'd think that, again, you'd be flagged and you'd get extra psychological support. Someone or you already had a psychologist. Or, yeah. no? Not really, no. not really. Um, it no. was, can you come to these appointments? With um, three children? With, the, with like... three children. With three children. <laughs> can you come and speak to someone? And I said, mm. um, I can try, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I've got three children under the age of two. I can barely leave the house as it is. Mm. Um, this is where it's so lacking. Grecian, this mm-hmm. is something we need to book- bookmark, note in our mm-hmm. calendar to talk about, is the lack of support yep. when you come home from NICU. Yep. For the mothers, I'm yep. talking. Yeah, because for the, the mothers. They check on the they babies. They check the babies. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, not the mothers. Yep. Yeah. Not the mothers, no, no. And there's like the child health nurses that come out and make sure, like you said, that your baby's putting on weight and yep. it's like don't worry about the mum crying in the corner, you know. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. We'll just ignore that. Ignore that. That's not our problem <laughs> yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh, dear. Sorry. I kind on, of, on another tangent. Oh, God, no. It's something that I feel so strongly about as well. I yeah. totally agree. Um, well, in your like in your situation, and again, I'm not trying like I'm not saying that you were at risk or anything, but you were like I was essentially, high risk. yeah, I was high you risk. were high risk, yeah. and you think that that would at least give you some su- extra support, someone checking something. in on you daily or giving you yeah. a call or just something, yeah. but there was no. nothing. Yeah. There was barely anything there. It was just come to an appointment if you can, if you can, and then yeah. But then what if you drop off, like, do they check in? Well, that's what I mean. If you you drop off the, yeah. It is only once you've been, so only once you've kind of been in a mother and baby unit that afterwards they try to keep in contact with you. But if you don't follow that, they send you letters just saying, we can't continue on your care, basically. Um, Mm. Yeah. So after having Harrison, I felt that, same emotions. I also felt that strong need that I needed to breastfeed and needed to pump. And mm-hmm. he mm. had developed silent reflux. So we worked through that. And then he developed uh, a breast aversion and wouldn't breastfeed at all. So I was trying, I was trying to breastfeed. I was trying to pump. I was trying to manage two other children I had that were screaming for me. And that wouldn't have been good, that need to provide with him being averse. Yeah. 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 I just felt like I wasn't doing enough yeah I wasn't doing enough for all three of my kids you know I couldn't even look after this one child that I've just had it yeah Yeah. it very much felt like I was failing all of my children at that point um but you know it is I just look at it it in a different way of like you know I've I'm very strong-willed and my kids are are healthy Mm. and happy now like they're doing they're doing great um and the thing I think if I could tell any mum anything, it would be don't put those pressures on yourself. Like your babies aren't going to know and they're not going to remember for how long you pumped breast milk, for how long you breastfed them for, for how long you sat with them while they cried kind of thing. Like at night time, they're not going to remember all of those things. They're just going to remember that you were there like, mm. and that you yep. did the best you could with what the universe gave you. I think. I held myself to such a high expectation, as we were saying before, my childhood, the lack of having that mum as a child, as a figure and having that positive role model influenced my thinking around what a good mum should be. Yeah. And I just held myself up to unrealistic expectations and I fell from that. I really did fell really hard from that. Well, it's not achievable at the end of the day, like as much as we no. we 
you know, you can't be, what's that saying? Something about you can't be the, per- there's no perfect mother. No. You know, it's, yeah. And I think to an extent we all do it, mm-hmm. but when you've got borderline personality disorder, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't talk for you, but <laughs> I assume that um, those feelings are so much more intense and extreme and you're, you then you have to deal with regulating those emotions. Like yeah. it's, yeah, you've, you're incredible. I yeah. Am. And blown Thanks. away, so yeah. blown away I don't by feel this story. Like it sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Well, we never do, but no. um, you've gone through a lot more than, like, you know. I'm trying to say this without getting emotional, but yeah. you, a lot of us in this community have, like, the the premi NICU stuff brings up enough trauma and um, is extremely difficult to deal with in itself but then to be struggling through your own battles on top of that yeah it's just I'm just blown away I'm speechless you're just amazing (laughs) and just like how fierce you are and how much you you advocate like you said and none of this has stopped you and your control of of all of this is incredible I think advocating for yourself and your three children through all of it yeah, and like when you said that it's like, you know how, you know, I've got similar age children to mm. you, um, obviously not yeah. twins, but the three and the five-ish-year-olds and um, with Jack and his emotions and They're me every day trying to, <laughs> trying to regulate his emotions. I can't imagine having myself on top of that to, to manage. Like it's just, yeah, wow, incredible. Yeah, it's a lot, but it's, it's something I strive to just improve upon um, and – I, yeah, I just want to do more work I've done. So I've been in hospital most recently, actually, I've been in hospital mm-hmm. in I'm trying to think of the month now, May. Um, I was in hospital for three mm-hmm. weeks again in a private facility after at the end of last year, I went into a public facility um, mm-hmm. for four weeks and did some treatment in there. Um, public's definitely... Yeah, that's a very a very strong point for me is the public health mental health system is is just mm. horrible. Yeah. yeah. Um and thankfully I have private health insurance now. I didn't at that point. Um so I was able to go into a private facility this time and I learned something that being in one of the sessions with another mother and she said something and I remember sitting there crying and she's she said my children have learned to have understanding that their mother is going away for a little while for a little tune-up and that that is mum goes away for a little tune-up every now and then so she can be better for us and I remember hearing her say it and I just broke down in tears Mm. because this was the first admission I had had that was wasn't a crisis admission it was a preventative admission so Mm. I did it because I could see where I was going and I knew I wasn't heading in a good direction and that I needed to be somewhere yep. safe and I needed to have a medication changes. And mm. it just, yeah, it made me understand that my kids need their mum to be okay. And I, for me to be away from those kids for a few weeks or however long I'm away is better than them not having a mum for the rest of their yep. lives. Oh, yep. I'm tearing. Yeah, oh, I'm so emotional right now. <laughs> but like, this is what's blown me away is the contrast of you at the start needing to have so much 
like the pressure you put on yourself to be the perfect mother and to do everything to be there. and not even t- accept any help yeah, all the time to now obviously um you know you're getting a lot more support and you're on the right medications and stuff but your insight now to know that that's not actually the best mother that no. isn't what the description of what a good mother is because you need to be the best version of yourself yeah like just the contrast of you from the beginning to to now and your awareness of that is just that's what's blowing me away like the how, journey I guess how far you've yeah. come yeah. yeah yeah I definitely realize yeah. it in myself um I guess even explaining this yeah 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 even talking about your story tonight is probably going to be good for you and recognize how far you've yeah, come. Yeah, I think yeah. I sat down and I was sitting down and writing stuff down the other day and I was actually like reading it back to myself about like my birth trauma and everything like that and yeah. I was like okay, all right, this makes sense as to way the way I was feeling and the way I handled yeah. things like <laughs> and hopefully you have a bit of like you should be proud of yourself. <laughs> it's like you've done a complete 180. Yeah. Um in yourself and that's that's down to you as well like it could have ended so differently differently. it could have been really different yeah and there's times I think of that and yeah I just yeah yeah (laughs) because it does like this is the reality it does sometimes um and differently and that's why you're on here to talk about this because you want other people to know that they're not alone yeah and And that yeah there is things you can do and support out there there's so much support like you I think the hardest thing is you have to really advocate for yourself like there is support out there like go Mm. see go speak to your GP like Mm. go ask for a mental health care plan and go and sit down and talk with someone just just if you need help there's always going to be someone out there that listens just take that one step yeah you need to find that person that is going to listen keep fighting keep pushing honestly if you're at that if you're at the point where I was at where I was contemplating not even being around for my children and thinking that they were better off without me, there is, there's helplines you can call. Don't be afraid. Turn up to an emergency department. I've done that before. Just go to an emergency department because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you doing that for your children is better than you not being around for your kids at all. Yeah. yeah. And this is yeah. another frustration with with the mental health system, unfortunately, is that for, for a a group of people that need support and need people to hear them, you do still have to fight, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and advocate for yourself, um, I, which is frustrating. Yeah, it was the hardest, I, I don't know, I probably don't have to put this on the podcast, but um, the last admission I had publicly, uh, I went to the emergency department because I, yeah, was not in a good way. Um and they took me into the adult psych unit because at that point it was so far postpartum I wasn't entitled to any of the uh, Mm. mother and baby unit services anymore Um, Mm. and my husband actually had to sit down and convince them that I shouldn't be coming home that the reason she came to hospital is because I am scared for what is going to happen when she's at home I can be at home and I still don't trust that she's not going to get up in the middle of the night and do something and that's what's so sad is that that word convince like you have mm-hmm. to like I'm blown prove, up like yeah you have to prove that yeah. you're unsafe the worst just yeah the worst part is is this is a big thing about borderline personality disorder as well is because our emotions are so up and down that people assume mm. 
we're not actually going to have the guts to commit suicide. To do it. As yeah. brutal as that yeah. sounds, people don't yeah. assume we're going to have the guts to do it. Because they're going to assume that you're just going to come out of it the next second. Yeah. That yeah. you'll be in that low moment for a minute or 10 minutes or whatever, half an hour, I don't know. But then you're going to come out of it. It's going to be yeah. up and down. Yeah. But it's that was the hardest, not hardest thing. like that. No, no. And even even the professionals, like mm-hmm. in in the hospitals, think this. Yeah, there's a very big stigma yeah. around people with borderline personality disorder, which is why when I was saying about bipolar and BPD, mm. there is a very big difference yeah. in there. Yeah. Because yeah. bipolar, you will have manic episodes and then you'll have low episodes, and those episodes can last for weeks, days, weeks, months at a time. Whereas mine's very hit and miss it can be every other minute's different yeah so okay. yeah, yeah if that explains it a little more yeah 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 wow and then learning also, a lot yeah mm-hmm. and then also like <laughs> comes from bpd a lot of um like ptsd and i have something called complex ptsd um which is occurs from a series of events so my whole mm-hmm. childhood was a series of events and then I had birth mm, trauma okay. which compiled onto that yeah so there's other yep. little things along the way that have I've finally been diagnosed with like ADHD as an adult and all mm-hmm. of these these things that are all contributing to the way I have felt are slowly getting diagnosed but it sucks that mm. I've had to have kids and go through all of these emotions and go through to get these diagnoses these diagnoses yeah yeah, like at what point if you didn't have all of this, would have it? Yeah, you know, someone have picked yeah, it up would or someone or, have? Yeah, like, I honestly mm. don't know. Like it's unless it escalated into something else, maybe. Yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. And what about your partner through all of this? So did he? How how does he support you? I guess when you are having these up and downs, and did he when you had your second, um, and you were starting to go into that same same patterns you know pattern did he recognize that and he did talk to you about that he did um and I am also very much um I'm learning that I need to after this last admission was the first admission I had finished properly um Mm -hmm. where I had stayed the length of time that I should have stayed and even maybe Mm. even a day or two longer than what I should have just to make sure I was okay to come home yeah because I will like BPD, I will have a good hour, day, maybe even half a day, and I will say, I'm great. Let's go home. Why am I even in here? Like, this is this a joke? Yeah. And then I'll come home. And that was why I had so many readmissions um, into the mother and baby mm. unit was because I was coming home too soon. Mm-hmm. But he is really good. So he would, yeah, he, he knows a lot of my signs and symptoms. Um, yeah. He will walk into a room. He said to me yesterday because I was having an off day yesterday. He walked in, we walked into the room and said, "I immediately knew there was something wrong with you. Like I immediately knew mm-hmm. that your mood he was just low. Sensed mm. it. He just yeah. knows. Yeah. So he picks yeah. up on a lot of that stuff and kind of so connected together. Yeah. Then. Yeah. We've been through so much now yeah. that you know. I hope we are. Um, yeah. So do you just do you just push? I'm interested to like. So we had planned to do this podcast yesterday. Yeah. Would you have just pushed through that mood? And done it? Yeah, yeah. I put a mask on. Yeah. I'm really, really bad because yeah. I can put this front on that everything's totally fine. And yeah. I actually get I actually get told off by health professionals because I put too much of a mask on when I'm in hospital because mm-hmm. they'll give you it's called PRN, so basically medication you can use when you have anxiety attacks and things like that. And when I'm in hospital, yeah. I'm so anti things like that that I just I don't like to use them and they're like 
we don't know that you're struggling if you're not using these medications and you're not taking advantage mm. of the things we put in place to help you. I said, yeah, but okay. I won't go home and do that. Like I, I don't want to come home and be on a medication where I'm so sedated mm. and I'm trying to deal with three kids. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I would put a front yeah. on and just deal with stuff and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, I mean, as awful as it sounds to say, yeah, you do just have to go and do school pickups and stuff when you're in those moods. You can't just, you can't just, unfortunately, like you said, go and lay in bed for the day. No, no. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard because I, I was debating whether or not I should be talking about this on the podcast because I felt really shitty about the scenario I was in. My children were actually, when I left the mother and baby unit after having Harrison, it was recommended that my kids go to daycare. And I thought, great, that's fine, but I can't afford to send my kids to daycare. Mm. Um, and I had tried to send the twins to daycare and they got RSV and ended up in hospital again. And I just mm. said, I can't I can't do it. Like they ended up in hospital for a week on feeding tubes and oxygen. It's just again. adding just, to everything. Yeah. So we tried it again. Um, and there's actually something called the additional childcare subsidy that I – as I said, I don't didn't really want to talk about this, but I feel like it might benefit another mum out there struggling. Um, it's basically where a GP can write a letter to a childcare provider and your childcare provider applies for it to have your kids in daycare. It can be in as, as little days or as many days as you need to go, go to your medical appointments, to do anything mm-hmm. you need to do to help yourself be a better mm-hmm. parent. And the government mm-hmm. pays for your children to be in daycare. Um, I had my children in daycare up until probably the start of this year. I've started doing more because my kids are in, uh, my twins are in day, uh, in kindy three days a week. So I do everything around them three days a week. Um, but yeah, my children have been going to daycare. It's not until now that they're actually coming out of daycare full time and I'm dealing with all my kids full time now. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's, well, that's good to know. There's stuff that you can put into place yeah, to get help. Yeah. Um, yeah. So hopefully if there's someone out there listening that doesn't, you know, doesn't, can't get the yeah, help, well, that's there's things. huge. Yeah. That's a massive yeah. help. Yeah. A massive yeah. help. I wouldn't have been able to do yeah. it without them either being in daycare or having the government be able to pay for it. And it, there was times where I felt like, what am I doing? Like my kids don't need to be in daycare or – oh, I'm taking, I'm taking this away from someone else who needs it. When in reality, some days I, I almost couldn't even get out of bed. Like there has been days yeah. where I couldn't get out of bed. And if my kids were at home, what would have been able to, of that yeah. mean? You wouldn't have been able to cope. Yeah. You've got to remind yourself yeah. that you need it. Yeah, you, you are that person that, that needed yeah. that. Yeah. And I felt really bad yeah. as using saying that I was a stay-at-home mum because my kids were in daycare. I felt like I was a bit of a, it was a bit of a pathetic excuse to say that I was a stay-at-home mum. Here's um, all the mum guilt. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the mum guilt. Yeah. Even though I was the one yeah. making them dinner and doing all, I was still caring yeah. for my kids, but they weren't of with me full were. time during the day. Yeah. 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 I actually want to just go back. I had a question here that I still want to ask. Um, tell us about some of the judgment and the criticism that you face surrounding your diagnosis and, like, I guess your time in the parent um, baby unit as well. Yeah. Um, I will go as far as to say there has been school friends add me on Instagram and sometimes I I actually before I had my profile open more these days I have it open more um but before I had yep. my profile open 
I actually deleted some of my mental health stuff about me being in hospital because I was so embarrassed as to have those people know that I suffered from mental health conditions because it for me it's mm. just when you tell someone you have BPD like I said before they either assume they assume it's bipolar mm. and that people just don't understand that you can have something like this and still be a good mum um so I think mm. they're so you have a big worry about what other people think of yeah, you. yeah 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 and yeah. that's always been I'm probably my toughest critic around that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's understandable. I think we all are. And like you said, this this stigma that has been around for generations. Yeah, it's um. Of course, you're gonna you're gonna worry about that. Yeah, but have it, have people ever openly said stuff to you, or do you feel like you've been judged? I get a lot of. Or I, do you hide it? Do you kind of hide it? I hide it, but I feel like if I share it, I am oversharing too much about my life, and then I go back into this whole. Mm, I think yeah, about it later, yeah, and I mm-hmm. think I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that to someone. Um, mm. I have had comments from very naive people um, mm. that I know, kind of going, "Oh, but how do you?" but can't you just kind of get over it kind of thing? Like the very naive. Yeah, what we were saying earlier. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. You literally answered all of our questions. You're great. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, it's good. It's good. (laughs) So good. I feel like I talk too much. No. No, because it's you telling your story. (laughs) I'm just blown away. (laughs) Gretchen still can't talk. Yeah, no, I still can't talk. Literally, I I have learned so much, like. I'm glad, honestly. I've got, I've got no words. You're just amazing. But yeah, I've just yeah. yeah. See, got no Thank words. You. I think the same thing about you guys. So I'm in admiration of you know you guys and and most of you know all of the guests you've had on the podcast. So I felt like I said I felt super intimidated. I was like I just what I'm saying. I don't feel like it's it's as worthy as what other people have to share. Oh, so, but you are you are a, like I said earlier, you're a voice for a silent group, yep. and this is the thing. This this is out there, and you are we are going to be reaching mothers out there who go, oh my gosh, someone's talking about this. Yeah, this is me. I relate to this. Yeah. Like even like I you really said, hope so. One person, that yeah. one person. Yeah, yeah. It makes you feel so good. Yeah, and the reality is that you're. It's the fact that you're sharing for such a silent yep. group that we haven't talked about yeah, and that I don't think many other podcasts or people are talking about. No, and that's um, what, that's, I guess that's why I was interested in you guys, not even, not even my own story, but just someone's who suffers from the same mental health conditions that something is that's lifelong and mm, it's not going to go away yeah. and I have to work on yep. every single day. Every single day. The, and the thing yeah. is, is there's a lot of people, even in our generation, who are suffering from childhood trauma and wouldn't mm. understand what they're going through um, right, yeah. and those emotions yep. and wouldn't understand that it, it can actually be a condition. Like you can actually have complex PTSD from all of your childhood trauma and you can actually get BPD and it can't, it, it might not just be anxiety and depression it might as be something it's been diagnosed. More. Yeah, yeah, and well, investigate right. that, that was you. Yeah, that was you until you got your diagnosis, like until you were proper, properly diagnosed. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And even just um, I think we're good at brushing off stuff. So, for instance, people put it down to the fact that they had a shitty childhood. Oh, it was just because I had a shitty childhood. And they're like, that's yeah. just 
affected me in that way but not actually realizing the the long-term toll and impact that can have and then what that can have on your relationships and Mm -hmm. when you become a parent and on your children and so all of this stuff you're just opening up a whole can of worms so much (laughs) (laughs) like a good can of worms like the best can of worms because it's it's making us aware like we said we are learning so much and so is our audience and for for, like I said a group that uh, is is kind of invisible like we very much we don't talk about it Mm. because of the stigma based around it yeah 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 and it is because you feel like you have to hide. Like yeah, you shouldn't exactly. feel like you have to hide. No. But it's still the way, it's unfortunately the way it is. No. And until people like you get the courage and mm-hmm. are so brave and come onto a podcast <laughs> like ours. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm very proud of you. It's, so um, proud. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, and you should be. You should be too. And your children are gonna look up to you and say, My mum is the shit. She's amazing. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I hope yeah. so. One day I hope they can see I hope they recognise what – I hope they understand why their mum was away. And I think they probably won't even remember half of this, but I hope they understand why their mum was away and why, you know. And they'll think you're so brave for doing that. Like, And they'll they'll understand. They They will. will. Yeah. Yeah. I think they will, Yeah. hopefully. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jade. This has been amazing, really. Like you said, we're we're gobsmacked. I still (laughs) can't talk. talk. I still can't talk. (laughs) Thank you for yeah. having me, honestly. Like I really appreciate you giving me a voice and a voice to others out there. And, yeah, like I said, if it reaches just one mum and she doesn't feel so isolated and can get the help to prevent something yeah. from ever going wrong with any other mum, you know, if someone going too mm. far as to where the state I was in, if I can help one person, yeah. it's just it's totally worth it. Yeah. And if you are that one person listening, please get into our inbox and we will hook you up with Jade. You guys can chat because it's nothing better than finding your person and your tribe and someone that can, can talk through all of that with. So I think that's why I'm trying to open up my Instagram account more and be more open because there needs to be more people that are open about this and that can relate to these things. Yep. And you're at that point where you're ready to open up. Yep. 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 And you're making, even just doing that, you're making a change would have ripple effects mm-hmm. fingers crossed <laughs> yeah no you are you don't realize how yeah how that one brave act even coming on here can have ripple effects like you, you can make a difference and you are so that's just beautiful yeah awesome all right thanks jade we um are all done thank, thank you. you for coming thank on thank you lovely to meet you guys even if it's virtually and thank you again for allowing me to you too. chat. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Have a good night, guys. Thanks, Jade. Okay. Bye. Bye. See ya.